Blog Talk Radio. jackasses and continually lose their faith in humanity as as it pertains to the state of critical analysis in the world. I'm Robert. I'm your host for the evening. Uh, tonight we will be, I said this last week, when Mark and I kind of went over our schedule for 2018 and I realized just the, the depths of personal depression depravity and general insanity I'm about to sink into come 2018, because there is, like, nothing I'm legitimately looking forward to. Anyway, uh, I said last week that I believe Coco was the last movie for the next 12 months or so that I was legitimately looking forward to. Now, there's a handful of movies coming up in 18 that might not suck. Uh, I am not, like, universally down on everything on the calendar, be that our review calendar or just in general. But I am distinctly unenthused. Let me put it like that. But I know we had Coco, and... Look, the worst... Okay, let me, let me phrase it like this. If we exclude Cars 2, because that, you know, that is the worst Pixar movie ever, the second worst Pixar movie ever is probably somewhere of a three-way tie, and it's debatable what order these fall in. Between Cars 3, Brave, and the, new, and the Good Dinosaur. And I'd still take every single one of those over 75 to 80% of the movies coming out next year. So Pixar's, again, they're, they're not a perfect studio, but they don't screw up all that often. And they have an exceptional track record. So I was really looking forward to talking about reviewing Coco. Now... Uh, thankfully, that particular imp- that that 
particular impulse was borne out. And yeah, I'm killing a bit of time here because Mark is in a hurry to get here. So Mark will be joining us in a little bit, but yeah, tonight we're reviewing Pixar, the animated Pixar film Coco. Came out last, uh, came out on Friday, more or less, and I believe it, you know, smoked the box office because it's a good movie. And there was really nothing of terrible merit to combat it. Uh, again, normally this is where I would ask Mark what he expected, but I don't really have Mark at the moment, so... I suppose I'll go ahead and give you guys kind of what I thought about... Again, like, Pixar has such a phenomenal track record that even their... Even the lesser entries into their filmography are still very, very good to exceptional films. And I was... Yeah, I was just looking forward to it because it's a Pixar movie. Like, what's not to look forward to? Even when they're not great, they're usually at least good to watchable. Cars 2 being the massive and glaring exception. Yeah, I I didn't want to bring this up a minute before we get going on this because Pixar released two films this year. Uh, There was Cars 3 earlier in the year. And then Coco... There's very clearly, when it comes to Pixar films, two types of them. There's the kind that were conceptualized, executed, released, and all with the singular vision. They are basically the same from start to finish. Now, there's all, again, there's always some changes along the way, but it is functionally the vision of the writer and director that is realized. Then there's those that are knocked around a bit during that process that are completely revamped that are and reworked uh, both Brave and the Good Dinosaur very specifically started out in conception as something different and they just got reworked and, re- and uh, retooled more than once along the way and the fact that the resulting product was as good as it was is a testament to the ability of all parties concerned and then you have the very obvious commercial cash grabs like Cars 3, Cars 2 there's just like almost no legitimate creativity that went into it it's just ah, sure this, we think this will be successful and Coco is definitely it didn't get kicked around. This is a very, there's a very cohesive vision here from start to finish. So, and frequently, Pixar doesn't usually release two movies in the span of the same year. Uh, the last time they did this it was uh, with Inside Out and The Good Dinosaur, and again, very clearly, there's one of those that was awesome, and one of those that was battle scarred when it was finally released so anyway that's how we've it bears noting that there's those two kinds of films with Pixar and even the bad even their you know the lesser entries into their portfolio are still better than so much of the average film it's it's not even funny Uh, all right I'm gonna go ahead and jump into the plot synopsis here uh, this is 
I'm yeah. I'm struggling to properly contextualize, not contextualize, but to verbalize how the plot goes because there's a few twists that are only pseudo twists. Um, anyway, we start with uh, the main character, a boy by the name of Miguel, giving some backstory and some history on his family. His great great grandfather uh, walked out on them to pursue a life of music after his wife had given birth to their daughter. Uh, that was so his great great grandmother was very upset by this and banished music from the house from their lives. It's it's deeply impractical, but kind of roll with it here. And the family became shoemakers. Uh, <laughs> uh, Miguel laments this, that they could have done so many other things, but now they chose shoes. And as the, you know, as the family grows, they just all maintain, you know, they keep going into the family business. And the current kind of head of the household is... Oh, sorry, the the name of... Sorry, I need to rewind a minute. Uh, the daughter from the original bit there is the uh, is Coco as the uh, the eponymous character, who's really... It was a very old, old woman with, like, onset dementia as her life end, begins ending as we get into this movie. And her daughter is kind of the head of the house at the moment, and she continues the tradition of no, no music. And this... Runs, con- runs kind of contrary to how Miguel wants to live because he wants to be a musician. So, you know, friction. Uh, as Miguel kind of tries to deal with this and is you know, shut down by his family, uh, he discovers that... Oh, sorry. The big thing about, again, the great-great-grandfather who left, it, it plays into the uh, the Day of the Dead mythology that they play with here and that if you are, you know, they want uh, his whole family wanted to forget that this particular individual was part of them, that he existed. And if you are forgotten, you actually wind up dying in the afterlife again. It's an interesting concept to play around with. So they don't have a picture of him that they put out for you know, the day of the dead where your ancestors from the other side are able to find you kind of based on that. And again, that becomes important later. Uh, Miguel thinks that uh, his hero, whose name I can't remember, uh, Ernesto de la Cruz, who is universally regarded as the most famous musician in the history of Mexico, uh, while examining the photograph of, again, his deceased great-great-grandmother and the one that's missing the head of her husband, he sees that this particular headless individual has the same guitar that De La Cruz was famous for. He thinks De La Cruz is his great-great-grandfather. And after a somewhat emotional confrontation with his family where they just don't want him to play music and he's... He just wants to dance. He doesn't want to box type of thing. Uh, He sneaks into the tomb of Ernesto de la Cruz and tries to steal his guitar for the purposes of playing in the local music festival. However, as he steals the guitar, he is cursed because it wasn't his to take. 
he winds up uh, be he is cursed to like enter the land of the dead. So as he leaves the tomb, he encounters the deceased spirits of other people, including his own family, and they're well, they have to try and figure out what happened. So they take him to the land of the dead to get advice about how to fix this, because the living shouldn't really exist in the land of the dead. Bad things happen. And they discover that it's actually rather easy to send him back, because he is cursed. He just needs a blessing from a family member. And his great-great-grandmother, whose name escapes me, uh, is perfectly willing to give him her blessing to return to the land of the living, contingent upon him never playing music again. He's not happy with this. He decides that he's going to find his deceased great-great-grandfather and get his blessing because then there won't be said contingency about playing music. While he is escaping from what is essentially police custody, he runs afoul of a... not quite a bum but a lower-on-the-totem-pole individual because of how the society in the Land of the Dead works. They're, your status is determined by how many people remember you and how well you are thought of, uh, by the name of Hector. And Hector knows uh, De La Cruz and is willing to help Miguel get to him to obtain said blessing, provided Miguel will take his photo back to the living world so that he can be remembered, because he's about to fade away and die. Hijinks ensue as they go, as, you know, they try to get there. Uh, there's some bonding that takes place between those two, subsequent breaking of said bonding. If I have one, uh, Mark's not here to yell at me about editorializing. If I have one negative thing to say about this movie, and this is a very minor nitpick, if you know enough about both children's stories and how Pixar tells stories, this thing is very, in terms of its plot layout, it's pretty by the numbers. And when you're dealing with movies designed to appeal to kids, that's not a bad thing. But if the, again, if I have a gripe, it's that. Um, Hector gets deeply annoyed at... Miguel, because Miguel lied to him about needing to talk to De La Cruz to send him back, saying he had no other family on the other side. Uh, and Miguel just wants to be remembered. He just really doesn't want to fade away into the final death. Because when there's no one left on Earth, in the land of the living who remembers you, you die again. You fade away, or some such. It, it, it's bad. That's really the crux of it. I'm not... I'm not a... <laughs> competent enough to discuss the specifics of the mythology behind it. And he... So, Hector, they wind up you know, separating. Miguel actually does get all the way to Ernesto de la Cruz. Uh, Hector shows up. There's a confrontation there, wherein it, ter- it comes to light that you know, Hector mentioned that he and de la Cruz used to play together. They were musicians. Turns out De La Cruz was just kind of the front man while Hector was the one who wrote music well and played better. But De La Cruz was the photogenic one, and so he wound up as the front man. And then well, it turns out he actually murdered Hector when Hector was trying to leave so that he could steal all the remainder of his songs and continue to cement his status as a you know cultural icon. 
Uh, as that comes to light, it turns they reveal that it's not De La Cruz who is Miguel's great great grandfather, whatever it happened to be. It's actually Hector. Uh, but before they can actually send Miguel back, De La Cruz stole the picture of Hector that he had wanted to be you know, taken back to the land of the living so he could be remembered. Uh, there's a bit of, you know, there's some conflict, there's a musical number, there's them trying to get back said picture. It doesn't quite work. They send uh, Miguel back as Hector is starting to fade away. Miguel, who has now realized that his senile and very elderly great-grandmother, Coco, is forgetting her father, uh, (laughs) and that's what's causing him to fade away. So after he returns to the land of the living, he beelines it to her to try to get through to her to help her remember. Initially, this doesn't actually work all that well. But the power of music, because again, he wants to be a musician helps re-spark some of her memories. It turns out, again, they actually lost the photo that Hector wanted them to bring back, so he's like re- resigned as Miguel leaves that he's just going to fade away and die again. Uh, it turns out Coco actually kept the torn-off p- portion of the other photograph. She also has documentation proving that he was the one who wrote all the songs and was essentially responsible for Adela Cruz's success. Uh, she has some final moments of lucidity, and his, Miguel's family realizes that music isn't really all that bad because, I mean, there's bad music, but music as a fundamental like source of interaction and artistic expression is not bad. Uh, we end with a flash forward to one year in the future when Coco was passed on. She is reunited with you know the rest of the family on the other side. For another Day of the Dead, and everyone is you know remembered and happy, and there's a final musical number that sends everyone home feeling good about themselves. That's kind of the that's kind of how that goes, and I'm sure that I'm forgetting something that Mark would want to bring up, but uh, God, where do I want to start with this? There's there's really nothing wrong with this movie. I, I just gotta start there. Like, again, if you've seen enough movies, especially within the genre, it's not terribly hard to see where things are going. There's a few bits of execution that are different. Again, I figured Dilla Cruz wasn't going to be Miguel's ancestor because I forget how many greats I'm potentially supposed to attach to that. Uh, the fact that he actually turned out to be, you know, a murderer was. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the effect is basically the same, but how they get there is, you know, slightly different. Um, I really can't, again, like, I can't find any fault with essentially anything else. The music for this movie is excellent. Uh, Visually, it's beautiful. It is uh, gorgeous, gorgeous to look at. And while it does follow a lot of very traditional, well-set, you know, well-set-down plot points to kind of take off as the, the story winds on, it's extremely well-written. It, it doesn't, fe- you know, again, if you think about things the way that I do, uh, you can kind of tick off, you know, the boxes 
but it's not but it's executed incredibly well uh which is one of the big things about you know if you're gonna if you're not gonna try and break new ground and new i've frequently believe that you know things being new and different just for the sake of being new and different is not virtuous any more than following established conventions is virtuous in and of itself it's how you do it it's done very very well here uh there's a lot of there's a lot of really interesting you know again writing choices the fact that you wind up again i i kind of joked i made you know a billy elliot joke um but it doesn't it doesn't feel like it's a you know a billy elliot retread it's you know, these individuals in this family who have a pretty legitimate, at the time they had a legitimate reason for their emotional response and for the actions that they took. And now it's kind of passed on and they all, it, it seems a little dogmatized, which it's supposed to, that there's not the, a lot of reason behind it at this point, but it started from a place, from an emotionally relatable position. And now you again you wind up with a kid, with you know the kid who just wants to play music and is pretty darn good at it. Uh, the some of the bits in the Land of the Dead that kind of play off of that are really well done. There's one in particular uh, as Miguel is trying to get to uh, you know, the De La Cruz estate. Uh, where his again deceased great great grandmother is trying to catch him because if he stays there past you know sunrise, and he's stuck and he dies and is stuck in the land of the dead forever. So there's a clock on this on that whole adventure. He they share this moment where he like chastises her for you know, giving up music and that you know uh, something along the lines of you never really had to you know, you. You banished it, but it never meant anything to you. And it, she, you know, it turns out she's a quite a gifted singer, and she talks about how it did, you know, the moment what led to their her husband leaving was that after they they, they used to be musicians together, and there was a deep love of it. But after they had a kid, kids change things by the nature of their existence. She didn't want to continue you know, wandering and playing music. She wanted to settle in a specific area, you know, have roots and a stable environment for their child to grow up in. And he wasn't quite done chasing music. And again, it turns out later that, and, you know, so again, her bitterness is understandable after, as he left, he Again, the the big thing at the the big reveal at the end was everyone the entire family thinks he just left and never came back, and they don't speak of him. They want to forget him, et cetera, et cetera. Like they don't even know his name. Like it's literally just Coco. The rest of the family does not even have a name for this person. And it turns out that he was try he was actually trying to return to them when he was you know, murdered by uh, Ernesto de la Cruz because. I mean, I should have seen that coming even more because he's voiced by Benjamin Bratt. And Benjamin Bratt's a little bit like Ed Harris. If he's in your movie and there's a villainous role, it's probably him. 
Like if you really want to throw off people who you know, metagame movies like that, you need a movie with both Ed Harris and Benjamin Bratt that's a whodunit. Because it's one of them, but you'll never know who until, the, until it comes out at the very end. Uh, anyway, it, so again, there's a lot of you know, damaged feelings, and Miguel, I really like his character arc here because he starts out you know, with a legitimate desire and a passion for music that is just banned by the family. And much as you know, the family's kind of in the wrong. The kid doesn't have the vocabulary and the maturity to actually try and express or communicate this, and they don't have the ability to relate with said child. Hey, I'm back. Oh, hi, Mark. <laughs> I'm assuming you're doing a plot synopsis? Already did it. Oh, shit. God, I'm sorry. That was an unavoidable work call. That happens. At least to those who are gainfully employed. Indeed. All right, man. Uh, go, go ahead and finish what you're doing. I apologize for interrupting you. No, no, go ahead. It's uh, I, My only point, that I was just talking about how much I like kind of the writing and the character arc that they gave Miguel because... You know, he just wants to do something that his family is, while, again, well, you can understand elements of why the family feels the way they do about music, music and musicians and such. It's a little bit of an outdated perspective. And he is more than prepared to simply go the... How do I say this? There's a, there's a kind of a long tradition in film, especially children's film, of families opposing the, you know, somewhat unconventional desires of children and children subsequently leaving behind said family to pursue their dream. And this is applauded too much so, in my opinion. But so the, he starts out in that, you know, in that spot emotionally and as a character. And what he learns by the end is that kind of regardless of what he if you know those dreams that his family is actually the most important thing, and he and again, there's fault all around for some of the inciting events, but you know, he learns a more traditional lesson as far as that goes, rather than a lot of co- uh, contemporary you know fiction on the subject that's designed to you know teach morals. And it, it was an interesting you know arc choice that they had for him, and I thought that they executed it exceptionally well, so anyway, Mark, uh, hi, how you doing? Been better. Um, but uh, about this movie, uh, I thought it was fantastic. I, I thought uh, I haven't ugly cried this hard since Inside Out, which I think was last year, but nonetheless. Um, <laughs> I really, uh, I really, really enjoyed this. Uh, this movie spoke to me in a lot of ways, just because like I'm such a huge fan of music, you know, and music plays this tremendous role in my life. I mean, I wish I could play music. Uh, I've just never really had a talent for it. But you know, I'm always singing a song, and I've always got music on my mind. And I had a friend of mine who I love. I love that fact that he said this, and I've repeated it ad nauseum um, ever since he, he said it to me. He's like, I can't imagine a day that goes by that I don't make a new musical discovery, you know, a new song or a band or something. So 
that element of this movie really jumped out and spoke to me um, because, you know, because here's this family struggling with, kind of, you know, the opposite of that, really. You know, the, this idea that, um, you know, music ruined their family and wrecked their lives and all this stuff. Um, so that, that all, uh, like I said, that all spoke to me. Um, obviously Pixar, Pixar does a really, really good job of pulling on the heartstrings, uh, in a lot of different ways. And certainly this movie did that, um, you know, in terms of, you know, a boy searching for his father and, you know, and how his actual father got betrayed by, you know, by this guy that he'd looked up to his entire life and all of that. Um, all of it just worked very, very well. And I have to say, my daughter had the best reaction when, um, when Ernesto de Cruz uh, throws Miguel into the, into the pit. She audibly gasped and, like, just bursted into tears. Like, was just horrified by what had happened. <laughs> and, you know, and, and she doesn't quite make the connections that you and I do in terms of, you know, this is all going to work out. It's a, it's an animated feature for, for children. This is going to be okay. Give it, give it a minute. And nope, she thought he was dead. It was like, Oh God, he's, he's a God. Like she's still in that innocent movie goer phase of, she still thinks the the good guy can die. So she was horrified. God, I miss thinking um, that. Which was, which was, I genuinely <laughs> missed the. I genuinely missed the ability to suspend my disbelief like that. I am so yeah. Jaded. It's. I was gonna say it's it's a fun thing to watch is not just her dad but as a fellow moviegoer to see somebody, you know, who can be totally enraptured in what's going on and can legit believe that uh, you know the hero the hero's in mortal peril because the whole time I because as soon as they introduced the Ernesto Del Cruz character. I was like, all right, what's the twist going to be? Is like, you know, he's not really his father, or you know, or he does, you know, he never he loved really him. His, or some shit I knew that he happen. wasn't really his ancestor, and I figured that he had kind of screwed with, uh, you know, Hector, who I figured was his ancestor, because otherwise he's just in a really weird spot to be, you know, positioned narratively. Mm-hmm. Didn't see the murder coming. <laughs> <laughs> You know, again, I was prepared to accept that he had, you know, stolen his guitar and some of his, you know, some of his material, or he was, or uh, you know, Hector had approached him, uh, you know, for advice. You know, there's a lot of ways that could have played. And I, again, so, you know, when you watch as, as you consume as much material as you and I do, there's things about it you can you can know that they're going like, okay, here's four different ways they could go. It's pretty much limited to these four, but which one are they going to choose, and how well are they going to do it? Right, right. And, yeah, the murder, um, <laughs> of course, the, uh, what real, I think what really kills me about that, and I mean this in a good way, is that the way they figure out that, no, wait, you murdered him, is that he actually replicated the scene where he killed that, <laughs> that guy and then put it in a movie. Right. Because that is such a sociopathic thing to do. Sure, you draw on what you know. Um, <laughs> you know. Uh, I don't look. I, I have, again apologize for missing the first twenty minutes of this, but I honestly don't have a tremendous amount to say in regards to critical elements. The movie looks amazing, but why wouldn't it? I mean, 
as bad as the good dinosaur was, that looked amazing. Pixar and Disney are really the superior brand in um, visual animation, you know, in terms of the, the look of these things. Illumination, you know, creates really fun comedies, and obviously they make a lot of money, you know, with the Despicable Me franchise and now the Secret Life of Pets, uh, a less, lesser degree, you know, Sing and whatnot. But nobody, nobody approaches Pixar and Disney. I mean, last year, Moana looked incredible. Inside Out looked incredible. Uh, the Good Dinosaur looked fantastic. Look, for what it's worth, Cars wasn't a bad-looking movie either. You know, it may not no, have been it was bad uh, on everywhere else, but it list. looked good. Yeah. Even, you know, Cars being a great example of even if the movie is terrible, it looks fantastic. And... You know, they did a great job of taking the concept of the Day of the Dead uh, Festival and bringing it to life in such, in, 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 with such vibrancy. There's going to be a critic who's not particularly wazooey about the use of Mexican culture in this movie. And I don't know what would have made this person happy. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But I, this critic <laughs> over here, thought, thought they did a great job of uh, taking Mexican culture and celebrating it and making it an integral, integral part of the story. I don't feel like anyone was stereotyped. Um, I don't feel like anyone, I don't feel like the Mexican culture was mistreated or exploited in any way. I felt like it, like in any culture, you know, you know, Moana being a really good example of this with the Polynesian culture, I thought they took great pains to show you this is the culture. These are the different elements of it. This is what it looks like. And this is the backdrop for the story that we're telling. Uh, that's really that, that that's really it. the voice cast was 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 fantastic. Um, you know, no, nobody. I don't know if anyone necessarily stood out. Uh, you know, like if there was a particular character, uh, a particular voice artist here who stood out more than anybody else. But I will tell you that I really, really love the music in this. You know, if I were into buying soundtracks, I might have bought the soundtrack to this one. And, I, and I'm a huge fan of, you know, the mariachi type music. Uh, and the, the, limit, the limited that I've heard, uh, I've thoroughly enjoyed. You know, I, like I used to own the Desperado soundtrack, just as an example. And so what, the, what, what I heard here I thought was really, really great. And, when, and the way it was portrayed on screen was, was very enrapturing for me. Yeah, there's a couple of things that I wanted to point out that are small details that are the kinds of things that I pick up on that in a lot of ways, if I'm on the fence about a movie, it's not the overarching plot and its sense that it makes that makes or breaks my enjoyment. It's actually the little things. Uh, case in point, not from this movie, but from a series we'll be reviewing... Oh, not, I think next week, technically. Punisher's the fifth, right? Yep, Punisher's a week from tonight. I thought we were doing Star Wars a week from tonight. Star Wars, no, Star Wars is the week this week. No, no, Star Wars <laughs> is the week after, yeah. I, which shows you how much I care. Like, I don't. I just don't. <laughs> it's, look, you're, you're fucking this all up, buddy. Okay, next week is Punisher. The week after that is The Crown, then Star Wars. Okay. It's, my three the point weeks away. being, the point like I, I don't care. Like it's star. I know other people are just in a tizzy because Star Wars. Like I don't care. 
I just don't. It's a box I have okay. to check off. Anyway, the point, the, the point I was going to get to there is uh, there's a character in the Punisher series who is supposed to be an agent for the Department of Homeland, of Homeland Security. And the badge she wears very prominently says ICE, I-C-E, which is Immigration and Customs Enforcement. Bugs me to death that <laughs> she's wearing the wrong badge. I guarantee you nobody else cares. I still And I still very much enjoyed that show, and I, w- I will enjoy talking about it. But as an example of minor things that I find enjoyment or you know, like, are like ice picks in my brain, that's an example. There were a couple of moments in this one that I got a serious laugh out of. During their music festival and the Land of the Dead, they have a dead analog of Skrillex. And he's terrible, which is fine, because... I, I hate dubstep so much. So them mocking Skrillex was uh, was perfectly all right with me. And I also got a laugh out of their, you know, out of Frida. <laughs> and how the only thing you need to sneak around disguised as Frida Carlo in the Land of the Dead is a unibrow. <laughs> and uh, the dog. <laughs> the dog being Dante. <laughs> Uh, I look, and I'll tell you all why I found that so amusing, especially when he transformed into a spirit guide at the end. Uh, because you have a person from the land of the living being escorted through the land of the dead, as Dante was by Virgil. Now Dante is doing for others. Your random bit of uh, literature history. That I can throw out, that I throw out, that I threw out for this one. But yeah, his guide through the land of the dead was Dante. It amused me. So that's just the way my brain works. All right. Ready to do mine? Uh, let me think. Uh, if you haven't seen this, go see it. There's, I have nothing negative really to say about this movie. It is wonderfully rendered. It is well acted. It is well written. It's not innovative or you know going to blow your socks off with you know, oh my gosh I can't believe they you know tried this narrative trick. But it's a lot of fun and it's a kids movie. They're not going to deviate from the beaten path too much. There's they just stick to it, but they execute it so well. It really and again. Like, there is no inherent value to staying on the path anymore there is, than there is inherent value to leaving the path. It's all in how you execute, and this one is ex- incredibly well executed. I think that's all I have to say. If you haven't seen it, go see it. It's absolutely worth your time and money. And it's the last positive the review money. I'm likely to get. Here we go. Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> no, no that, uh, I, I'm, I'm good with that. That was intentional on my. Uh, so I'm just gonna say this was probably the last. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. Here comes the money. Are you are you quite done, or do you have anything else you'd like to add, sir? Uh, just, this is the last positive review I'm probably gonna give for 12 months. 
<laughs> oh, you're gonna love it. Oh, I, 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 I'm really not. May have jumped the. Yeah, I may have jumped the gun on Daphne and Vilma. That looks like it might be a feature that's going to be direct to home video. But boy, it should be direct to hell. It should never exist. If that's in theaters, oh boy, howdy! I hope it's on a weekend we're not already covering something. Because if not, that's going on the list, baby. I am absolutely not going out of my way to find that. If I have to drive more than if it is more than a fifteen minute drive, I am not seeing it. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm not gonna worry about it now because we're gonna have a date for it. I hate Scooby Doo really? as as a property. Hate. Can't stand. When I was five and watching crappy oh, reruns, no. I realized that this is the same episode. Like they they change <sighs> Bits of dialogue, they change setting, but it's the same thing every single time. Who in the hell is entertained by this? Shut up, David. My youngest brother is, and he and I have engaged in several debates over the last week about the merits of Scooby-Doo, of which there are none, And so again, I was never, no, I was never a huge fan. I'll be honest. Any but I would, of them. I would, I would, I would, like any of those, I would, like you have what Scooby Doo, <laughs> Top Cat, Grape Ape. There's a Loch Ness monster variant. Why do I don't you know hate who? Hanna Barbera so much? Because they're not good. They're poorly written. Oh they're God. poorly executed. They're poorly drawn. It is recycled crap in the same vein as Gilligan's Island. It's not good. It was the only thing on. That's why people watched it. It has no merit. Watch it without rose-colored glasses and see what crap it is. Please. Can we uh, get back to Coco? The Love Boat sucks, too. Yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> You're terrible. Coco, on a budget of 200, $175 to $200 million, apparently most of which went to... <laughs> Yeah, probably two hundred million dollars. I'm sure most of which went to making it look the way that it did. Um, currently sits at 157 million worldwide. Uh, opening weekend, it uh, the domestic gross looked to be about uh, 50 million, and I think the total gross was about 72 million. It was the number one movie of the weekend. It beat out Justice League, which hauled in. Another forty-one million. Um, Justice League went from one to two. Wonder went from two to three, and Thor went from three to four. Daddy's Home four to five. Murder on the Orient Express five to six. The Star six to seven, which my kid saw today, or at least one kid saw it. The other kid fell asleep. A Bad Mom's Christmas fell from seven to eight. Roman J. Israel Esquire, brought to you by the good people at Sony, jumped from thirty-seven to nine. Meh. Uh, the three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, uh, jumped from ni- uh, fell from nine to ten. The Man Who Invented Christmas debuted at number twelve, and Call Me by Your Name debuted at number fourteen. And Jigsaw, just just to tell you, fell from ten to fifteen. So there you go. Um, as far as where we stand uh, worldwide. Nothing's changed. 
Yeah, not a whole lot. Uh, Thor Ragnarok is still at uh, number nine, though it's closing in on number eight. It's got about two million more to go before it knocks Pirates out of the eight spot. Um, we'll see if it... Uh, Ragnarok we'll might not crack it. the top five, though, which is kind of surprising. Oh, no, it's, it, you know, it, it's got to... Well, to, to get to crack the top five, it's got to it's got to pass uh, eight hundred seventy million. Eight hundred seventy. Yeah, it's currently Wolf Warrior two in that spot. Um, Rob's favorite movie of the year, Transformers: The Last Night, fell to number twelve. <laughs> I hate you for making uh, me watch that. Justice League is currently sitting at number seventeen, with four hundred eighty-five million. What kind of world do we live in with a man dressed up as a bat gets all of my press? More to the point, what kind of world do we live in where a movie like Justice League makes $485 million and that's not profitable? It has to make, this has to make over $700 million just to earn even a little bit of profit. You understand what I'm trying to tell you? For this to have been a worthwhile endeavor... This thing really does need to crack a billion, but at a minimum, at least get over seven hundred million. It has to do better than Thor currently, and Pirates. It has to do better than it. Currently, it has to do better than War of the Planet of the Apes, The Boss Baby, Dunkirk, Kong Skull Island, Rob's favorite movie, Transformers: The Last Night, and Logan. You understand what I'm you- trying to tell you? You missed the best part of that line. This town needs an enema. There you go. <laughs> That's a great line. I love that. So, li- I love that line, and it could especially be directed at Hollywood in the wake of all of these <laughs> financial disasters. <laughs> this town needs an enema. Dude, I'm just looking at Blade Runner 2049 on a 150 million dollar budget. You know, we're, we are now several weeks away from when this uh, debuted. It's only sitting at $255 million. This thing is a huge loss for Warner Brothers. We are not a patient society anymore, Mark. And it kills me. It absolutely kills me. Now, there were problems with Blade Runner 2049 anyway. But as a non-joke, like this is something that I actually observed. I observed a bunch of people agreeing with the sentiment that The Godfather isn't watchable. That's a shame. That, they think it's too slow. Just they just they they couldn't get like consider this. Ameri- I don't know where I don't know the location of all of these people, but for want of a better phrase, consider this American culture. You are now Peter Griffin. <laughs> Think about that for a minute. <laughs> you are that detestable, useless, fat sack of shit. What is Spawned the line that he from said a about? man who's... I'm amazed no one is pushed in front of a bus. What is his line when he starts talking about the Godfather? He was like, it, it protests too much or something like that? I don't know. He tries to... He's, I don't care for the Godfather. And everyone kind of like, what? No, I don't. I, I can't get through. Right. It. Yeah, and I can never get past like, that scene where they're sitting around talking. You know, they're sitting in the chair. Yeah, it's a great scene. Nah, can't can't do it. Yeah, uh, I just can't like, do it. it too, too much. It's like because it has a valid point to make. 
Yeah, you can't watch it. Like, if you tried to pitch the Deer Hunter now in this society, you would be laughed out of the fucking theater. The Deer Hunter would have to feature some sort of comic book character. And it would have to be, and the the wedding scene would have to be cut down to five minutes at best. Or Mark the, Wahlberg. The, you, you, <laughs> Pretending to be the only guy in Pittsburgh who speaks with a Boston accent. All right. Um, next, uh, next week is nothing. Uh, you know, as we've said before, uh, this Friday, December first, there is literally nothing in the theaters. Um, there's not a, not a single like, a nice wide release. Release Ferdinand, just as a thought. That's what I was, we we saw the um, when we saw Coco, we saw the trailer for Ferdinand, and I and I just looked at my wife and I'm like, and I'm still annoyed they won't release Ferdinand this you know December first or the week after. <laughs> I mean, what the, the hell? Or you know, in the month of October when there was nothing. Well, I think you know they're they're you know my wife made a good point. They're really pushing John Cena, you know, as the selling point of this movie. You know, for all those kids that are into wrestling. <clears throat> but I mean, so, and you know, the other side of that is they're trying to take advantage of, you know, the kids being out for like the Christmas holiday. Then fuck, then, then don't put it in the beginning of December. Put it after Star Wars. Do it Christmas weekend. Do it Friday the 22nd. Because you know what the competition would have been then? Pitch Perfect 3, Father Figures, Downsizing, and all the money in the world. You could have so had a perfectly, perfectly good. You, you would have had the kid yeah, market no, corner. Exactly. Exactly. Instead, um, no, Star Wars. And we're just going to pray that all the screaming children coming out sobbing after another main character dies. Hopefully this time one <laughs> that they actually can form an emotional bond to, rather than being told by their parents, no, trust me, Han Solo's awesome. <laughs> And then yeah, after that, here no on the first. they need to see a feel-good movie. Yeah, just here, here are the top five movies coming out Friday, December 1st. All right, here we go. Another Wolf Cop by Parade, by Parade Deck Films. Badsville from Epic Pictures. Brotherhood of, Brotherhood of Blades 2 from Wellgo USA. Daisy Winters from Hanover House. And the disaster artist from A twenty four. I don't even know any of these fucking the uh, these. Um, I am you? loosely familiar with the disaster artist because I hate James Franco. I hate him so Here, much. I'm aware have... of his projects. That's how much I hate him. Here, here's something you might have no. heard of. It's from Fox Searchlight. At least them I've heard of. Uh, the Shape of Water. That Not comes out. It. Okay. All right. Are you ready? Uh, oh, actually, again, I'm I'm familiar with the disaster artist because it's James Franco playing Tommy Wiseau, and it's about uh, his movie The Room, which is the worst movie ever made. And it stars James Franco, possibly the worst actor going in the world. So, no, I think the worst movie ever made was The Lone Ranger. Have you seen The Room? I have not. Mark, much as I, I hated The Lone Ranger. I hate a lot of movies, mostly ones that you make me see. <laughs> the Room is the worst movie ever made. If you don't believe me, 
find it and watch it. Okay. Its only value is as farce. And that's unintentional. It is the worst thing I've ever seen on... And again, I've seen all the Transformers movies. I've seen the four stick. Like, this is... This is worse than, like, Manos Hands of Fate. This is... (laughs) It is so bad. You... You... I... I could go into hyperbole. I could go into UFC levels of hyperbole about how bad this is. And for once, I wouldn't be overselling. They wouldn't be overselling it. It is so bad. Do yourself a favor. Get drunk. Not blackout drunk, <laughs> but you got to be... Like, I don't drink, but you want to be... There needs to be some chemical assistance. Watch this movie just so you can say you have seen the worst movie ever put to film. Again, like, Manos Hands of Fate or Plan 9 from Outer Space. Like, that's how bad this is. It is just incompetently made from start to finish. It is awful. It is just awful. It is so awful, it almost has to be witnessed. Are you you ready now? Again, just if you're going to bring up any other movie as the worst movie in existence until you have seen The Room, and bear in mind, this is Tommy Wiseau's The Room, not the deeply personal character drama starring Brie Larson Room. Important distinction. That the makes a huge difference about the quality of film you're about to watch. Uh, Yeah, I think that's... I do believe, but again, just... I mean, I, I almost like can't – I'm killing time because I'm not even going to get to yell at a whole lot of critics. Most of them didn't have their head up their ass for this movie. <laughs> oh, or, there uh, are a few. <laughs> oh, well then. Like, no, God! No, God, please, no! 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 Wait, wait, before you start, okay. Mark, the hype, uh, Mark, before you start. The Hype Brothers just broke up. Aw. means nothing to All me, right. but uh, I know it means something to you. So uh, this has a 96% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, which means of the 100-plus or whatever critics that saw this, almost all of them unanimously uh, you know, thought it was fresh to one degree or another. But we have six people... Six critics, three half of which are top critics, who found fault oh, really? with, uh, <laughs> with with Coco, which is near universal praise. So let's let let's just read them straight through. We're going to do all six rotten reviews here and call it a night, kiddos. Sherilyn Connolly of San Francisco Weekly says, "Being Pixar, the picture looks wonderful. Lighting, cinematographer Danielle Feinberg has outshone herself, but in the end." The derivative Coco lacks the spark of life found in the Book of Life. Uh, why? Why? What? Like, no. I mean, the whole point of this is actually rediscovering your purpose in life. And I wasn't even all that thrilled with the Book of Life, as I seem to recall. Like, I'm not quite sure how you arrived at that conclusion. Sam Adams of Slate, top critic. The movie slips into into a familiar rut, and the scenery fades into the background. 
this okay. person could not have possibly watched this movie. This moron. This moron right here. <laughs> Let's start with, again, A, the visuals are the best part of this movie. Which is not to downplay anything else that goes into it, but like pretending that they fade is inaccurate to actually what happens on screen. Second, I can't believe there are this many morons out there. What, like, did you even go to college? And if so, what liberal jackass professor somehow drilled into you or you misconstrued what they were saying that following tread paths or going along accepted norms is somehow an indictment, an instantaneous indictment. It is of no more value to break from tradition than it is to stick to tradition. One has no inherent value over the other. And more importantly, if you want to criticize an experimental art house piece for maybe falling too far into tropes, that's one thing. It's a kid's movie, you flaming jackass. Of course it's going to play into into tropes. Well, yeah, like, no, he was going to arrive home and he's too late. His, you know, beloved great-great-grandmother Coco has actually passed, has passed on. This would just be one great, wouldn't it? Yeah, mm-hmm. great-grandmother. His great-grandmother has actually passed on. He's too late. His father's been forgotten in the land of the dead. And thus a lesson was learned about the importance of valuing family while they're around. Like, really? You moron. (laughs) All righty. Moving right along. Tom Grierson of Screen International. With a fetching soundtrack and an array of visual delights in a search of comparably imaginative narrative, Coco is sweet and sentimental without being particularly engaging. Hmm. I mean, I was engaged. Mark, you were engaged. Your daughter seemed pretty engaged. Everyone I was in the theater with, which included a couple of elderly people actually using closed captioning devices... We're all quite you know who engaged. Wasn't enga- you know who wasn't engaged, in all fairness? To, 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 to this critic, I'm going to give him – I'll give him to him. I know one person who was not engaged by this movie. My three-and-a-half-year-old son. My three-and-a-half-year-old son was really into seeing this movie. And then I think between the 20-minute – which I don't want to talk about it, but if we had had more time, if I, if I didn't have to you know, almost immediately run off the show to deal with a, a work fiasco – I might have brought this up, but, you know, there are people who are pissed off because uh, the 20-minute short at the beginning <laughs> of it? Coco, uh, yeah, yeah, for Olaf's, uh, who Olaf's cares? You know, Just who cares? Christmas adventure. It's well, not... hang on, I'm getting somewhere with this. It, no, there's a point here, though, if you if you please. Sorry, sorry. And, and that point is people are pissed off that it was 20 minutes long and that by the end of it, the kids were like, um, we're done here. <laughs> that, I guess that was the movie because we can't, you know, we don't have the attention span for much else. And, uh, so, so parents are aggravated with Disney for putting a 20 minute feature at the beginning of their, uh, at the beginning of Coco. So I, I bring that up though, because, my son, admittedly, was, I think, one of those people. I mean, he did okay for a little while, 
but whatever, I mean, he says he likes the movie, but I watched him. There was a point where he was sitting on the floor or sitting underneath our seats in the back row because he was maybe not as engaged as, uh, as he should have been. Of course, he, gets, he, gets, he has that right. He's three. What's this fuck's excuse? He has the brain of a three-year-old. Well said. Um, uh, incidentally, I didn't touch on this earlier. I I said before, like I don't get the appeal of Frozen. Apart from like, it, it's got. You're I mean, not you a mentioned girl. it. It's a te- sure. I think you're the one who also mentioned like it's a <laughs> terrible movie, but it has great songs. I, and yeah, and and like you can blow off the "you're not a girl" thing, but I mean, but that's it. You know, that, girls identify too, sure. with both of those characters. You know? And I have no um, issue with that, but like this was like that that opening, it, it was too long. There's a reason most Pixar shorts that are in front of their movies are like five to six minutes. Twenty minutes is too long, and it was uh it was also just not all that good. I mean, I was amused. My daughter, you know, my daughter liked it, my wife liked it. We all thought it was a sweet little story. I didn't mind the length of it, but then again, I can sit through The Godfather. So, you know. Hey, know. you and I can uh, both do I can sit through The Godfather, too. I, can, I sat through the first two back-to-back. I, I, I demand some credit for that. And I enjoyed it, because I can actually pay attention to something that isn't brightly colored and exploding every three seconds. Bunch of morons. <laughs> Rayford Guzman of Newsday, this guy. This, this is the get em winfrey review of the night, everyone. All right, you ready? Buckle in, it's going to be a bumpy ride. Rafer Guzman of Newsday, my old hometown paper. Coco makes sure to cross every item off its Mexican checklist. Tamales, sombreros, a shot of what looks like tequila. But that's not the same as immersing us in a culture. And I'm going to go get candy now. Really? Like, no, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> this guy. <laughs> Here we go. How dare they put piñatas in a movie about Mexico? That's derivative. Like they didn't actually invent piñatas. Like <laughs> Oh, they drink tequila. Well, I'm pretty sure tequila is still consumed. And I'm pretty sure like I'm not going to accuse an entire, you know, culture and country of being drunkards. I'm not that guy. But I'm pretty sure there are still people in Mexico who drink tequila. It was actually developed in that country. Certainly that part of the world. It might have been developed further south. I'd have to double-check my you know, alcoholic history, but I'm not up-to-date on it, so I apologize for that. Like, no! You, this is not derivative. Like, the closest thing you come to, like, quasi-derivative of Mexican culture is the fact that the lively great-grandmother beats a Marriott, like, drives off a mariachi by smacking him with her shoe. Like, that's the closest you get, because... And that's not even actually all that derivative, because if you've ever been around... uh, I got a good friend who has uh, Hispanic heritage, and he attests to the validity of the lethality of his mother with a sandal. This is a thing. (laughs) So again, like the closest thing you get to derivative isn't actually all that derivative and more just meant to be kind of an in-joke. Like, and more importantly, what would, you, what would this guy have felt was actually appropriate to this? 
And th- that's what really kind of kills me about this style. Like, well, it sure checks off all the boxes to make sure everyone knows it's taking place in Mexico. But it's really not immersive. Like, what more do you want? Like, where do we... And this is the type of thing where if it actually went the steps further, this jackass implies it would be derivative and insulting. <laughs> and then he'd call it yeah, derivative and insulting. You miserable malcontent. Well, this is like the Moana thing. You know, people complain. There were people who complained like, oh, they, they were they were exploiting Polynesian culture. Well, I don't know what I'm going to go with liberals. I don't know what liberals want from from movie makers anymore, because if you do something that isn't white culture. If, if you do white culture, you're in trouble for not being um, inclusive. You know, you're 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 being you're whitewashing. You know, you're you're not being inclusive to other cultures. You're not giving people an opportunity to experience other cultures. You're you're a piece of shit. Okay, so let's do a Polynesian movie. Let's do you know a black movie in New Orleans. Let's do a uh, let's do a Mexican movie. Okay, all of those are stereotypes and derivative and and exploitive. Now I don't know what it is you want, and I don't know why anyone tries to make you happy. <laughs> like, I honestly, I don't know what to say. It's like I don't see where anyone could find, you know, insult in this movie towards Mexicans. The, I mean, I, I do have to ask: Is there any outrage from the Mexican community about this? Like, is there? <laughs> probably like, not, it, considering I think. I think this broke records in Mexico. Like, and I think that should be like, if anybody, you know, if any reviewer out there like takes issue with the representation of Mexicans, maybe hold your tongue until you've consulted with actual Mexicans to see what they think. And just, just sort of take thought. it as read. Just, if the Mexicans were okay with it, maybe you should be too. Stop, you know, your white man's like burden and all of that. This full outrage. Like this deeply repressed liberal guilt that they feel compelled to express. No, Ghostbusters is a great, you know, icon of feminism. And I have to say this because my guilt compels me to as a white male. Like, shut up. <laughs> Andrew, uh, sorry, Adam Graham of Detroit News, top critic. In the end, it's all too much. Yet at the same time, not enough. Despite its efforts. Coco can't rise above mid-tier Pixar. Sir, I have watched mid-tier Pixar. (laughs) (laughs) This is not mid-tier Pixar. How spoiled is this ass? All right, let let me just say this. I said when you were off, I mean, look, if we accept that, first of all, the worst Pixar movie by a country mile is Cars 2, and it's not even close. It's just awful. If we exclude that as what it is, it's a, it's a horribly insulting cash grab that was with a mandate to make it handed, on, handed down from on high because, wait, we have something that appeals to boys. If we exclude Cars 2, the worst Pixar movie is probably one of the following three, and there's some debate that can be had about the order here. Brave... The Good Dinosaur or Cars 3? Okay, it's The Good Dinosaur by... There's no argument. It's The Good Dinosaur. Yeah, again, there's an argument to be had the other way, but I'm not going to argue it with you. I would take 
every one of those movies, over 90% of the films I have to review next year. <laughs> that, and 2018, the year of dumpster fires. <laughs> it really is. Like, th- this guy's complaining about what? It's not surpassing Toy Story 3 as cinematic perfection? How spoiled are you? Middling Pixar is still better than 80% of major studio releases. And yet you're you're complaining about this. Like this is a bad thing. Like this movie is somehow lesser because it comes from an excellent studio with a history of nothing but excellence and it doesn't immediately ascend to new heights. Therefore I must ding it. Like Middling Pixar is not an insult. I wish I had seen more films this year that were the quality of the average Pixar film. Yeah, I mean, like I know, I know, like I liked Brave. I know a lot of people aren't like wazooey about it, but I would tell you that Brave was better than a lot of what we saw this year. It was easily. <laughs> I mean, Ratatouille was imminently forgettable and still. Very good. Oh, um, like, all right. Oh, it's middling Pixar, and this is somehow a negative? Like, <laughs> you, do not apply the... But like, you, okay, well, because, the, because I don't feel this rises above middling Pixar, I mean, A, it does, and B, even if it didn't, let's, that that somehow is an indictment. How about you compare it with the average movie? Let's just start there, because that's where we should be comparing these things. How about just the, the average la- animated feature that that isn't Pixar? Fuck, I would put I would put just about I would put this movie above the the what do you call it the Minions movie, which made over a billion dollars. I would probably agree with that, and I mean just for compa- hang on, because now I want to. I'm still I'm still like, mad about Inside Out. I just want you to know that you are deeply and unreal. Like, there's no reason for you to be that mad about it. Okay, I'm I would still, watch this I'm over. I'm so upset. Wah, wah, wah. A movie that was well made, designed to appeal to a broader base around the world, did better than an extremely well written movie that struggles when not uh, when it had to be subtitled or du- or you know dubbed. The shock I feel. The horror. Mark, are you getting the vapors over this? Do you feel the need to clutch your pearls and throw yourself on the divan? I've already done that. At this point, it would just be overkill. Okay. I would take Coco over Justice League, over Murder on the Orient Express, over Thor Ragnarok. So the last, like, the last three major releases, in a heartbeat, I would prefer this. I'd certainly take it over Jigsaw. I take it over everything from the month of October. And I actually liked Blade Runner 2049. But everything from the month of October. How about September? Was there anything good there? No. <laughs> no. Yeah, so the Inhumans and IMAX. No, no, we had it. <laughs> we had it in the month of September. So over the past, like, three months, there's one movie that I would personally prefer to watch over watching Coco a second time. How about but July? No, like, again, <laughs> okay, this is go. legitimately like one of the best movies I've seen all year. 
But this guy, because it doesn't ascend to, you know, again, cinematic perfection like you found in a few other Pixar movies. No, no, it's clearly not good. Like, compare it with the last three movies you reviewed, you miserable sack of crap, and let's see, and <laughs> let's see how that comes out. Like, no, it's so wrong. All right, lastly. Uh, right here in my own neck of the woods, Steve Persall of the Tampa Bay Times. Disney Pixar. I feel like this guy always shits on movies we like. By the way, do you know uh, where he Disney lives? Pixar's Coco. <laughs> Disney Pixar's Coco was more enjoyable three years ago when it was titled The Book of Life and came from 20th Century Fox. You yeah. motherfucker. See again, like this is somewhat untrue. Like I mean, the basic story from The Book of Life was actually quite different, if memory serves. So this guy gave – okay, so I, I, I got to read this because if I don't cause you to have a stroke at least once per show, then I'm not doing my job. Are you ready? I have a request for you after you get done with all of this. So this asshole from the Tampa Bay Times gave Coco a C. He gave Justice League a B-. minus. <laughs> he <Okay>. gave <laughs> – This guy knows nothing. He gave uh, American Maid a B minus. He gave Victorian Abdul a B. He gave Blade Runner twenty forty nine an A. All right, so there you go. The Lego Ninjago movie a C plus. Kingsman: The Golden Circle a C minus. It a B. Uh, let's see here. <laughs> the Hitman's Bodyguard C plus. Valerian in the City of a Thousand Planets a D. Atomic Blonde, a C. He gave The Dark Tower a C. Dunkirk, an A. War for the Planet of the Apes, an A-. minus. Spider-Man Homecoming, a B+. Despicable Me... He gave Despicable Me 3 a B-, and Coco, a C. Mark, I have a request of you. This will take a wait, bit wait, of wait, your wait, time wait. and energy. Give me, give me half a second here. Uh, do you know what he gave... Transformers The Last Night comparable to Coco. I'm guessing a similar grade. He gave it a C. The exact same one he gave Coco. All right. I want you to find this guy, Mark. He lives in your neck of the woods. (laughs) I have a very specific request, actually. The next time you go fishing, Mm -hmm. I want you to keep some of the chum. I want you to find this gentleman's car. And you have to do this in the following order. This is actually important to getting this to stick and work. Some of it, you just slop in the back. You just slop it in the back seat. The rest of it, you actually have to take off the hubcaps to his car and you stick it in there and then put them back on. Because he's going to clean the back of his car after you have slopped it. But the stench will then follow him for weeks as he struggles to figure out exactly where it's coming from. I will do my best. All right, that's, like, that's I, the end. I'm not even really <laughs> joking about that. I genuinely want you to like desecrate his mode of transportation or his house <laughs> with dead fish. Okay. <laughs> I will put that on my bucket list. Um, 
Still Find where he lives and just like have your kids throw <laughs> crap at his car, like harmless crap at him as he's walking to and from work. Like, maybe I'll plant drugs on him and then he'll get arrested and then I can put him on suicide watch when he comes into booking. <laughs> uh, that that would that's what I would do. <laughs> All right. We're done here. Um, again, yeah, I, I want you to find for... that guy, and I wish you to exact oh my God. him for his <laughs> terrible, terrible life. I apologize, everybody, for the fourth time. For the fourth time. Um, it couldn't be avoided. Unfortunately, I had to take that call, and that call went longer than I had anticipated it was going to, but it needed to be done. But thankfully, it, it was for this movie, you know, where... <laughs> I honestly was like, how many how many times are I going to say, this movie's great, I have no complaints. Um, anyway, that being said, uh, next week, no damn you Hollywood, but we do have a TV party for The Punisher. We're finally getting around to it. Speaking of finally getting around to it, The Crown comes out, uh, the new season of The Crown comes out December 1st. I haven't even seen season one yet, so me and Andrew Graham are going to talk about it on December 12th. And then finally, Rob's favorite movie, Star Wars The Last Jedi. Uh, We'll we'll talk about it on Tuesday the 19th. And then Rob's other favorite movie, Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. Getting rave reviews, ladies and gentlemen. Rave reviews. Fantastic. (laughs) The kids just love it. Um, And then we start the new year uh, here with, uh, you know, there'll be no damn you Hollywoods in the month of January. Seriously, though, if you think Kevin Hart's funny, you might want to have a CAT scan. So next, so starting next year, uh, I don't, this year was, was rough on me. I don't need to go into a whole soliloquy about it. I don't feel like talking about it, but we know I had cancer. People know I had to cancel some shows um, or I had to sit out some shows because I wasn't up to, uh, or I was in the hospital, or I, I wasn't up to doing them, um, and I felt, you know, bad about that. But the one thing that it kind of brought to mind was that recording four days a week is is can be a bit tiresome. So I endeavor to record a little less next year, not a whole lot less, but a little less. Four days a week is 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 ridiculous for a guy that's doing this as a hobby. So um, we're, we're moving a lot of Thursday content to Tuesdays. You're still going to get a whole year's worth of damn you, Hollywood. But as, but as we do every year, we take January off because it's fuck you, it's January. That's why. If there was something um, worth watching, we'd talk about it. <laughs> no, January is always a dumpster fire. That's why it's called fuck you, it's January. Um, so instead, we'll do a TV party for Fuller House. Season three, part two, on January second, uh, we're gonna do we're gonna move beyond trial so the mo- for most of the year onto Tuesdays where we don't have something else going on. There'll be the occasional Thursday on trial, but for the most part, we're trying to move them to Tuesdays. So we're gonna do an on trial for the movie Three Hundred by Zack Snyder um, on January ninth. Uh, on January sixteenth, provided all goes according to plan, we'll do a TV party for the Hulu series The Runaways which we covered the, uh, the comic book just recently, uh, this past Monday on source material. And on the 23rd, we're going to do Pinky and the Brain Volume 1. I'll have Alexis Hena 
on to talk about the uh, first season of Pinky and the Brain, which which started out as a short on the Animaniac show, as you may recall. Um, on the 30th of January, Sean's going to do an on trial. Of course, you know, he hasn't picked his yet, but he always picks some fun ones. Um, February, we got Black Sail Season 2, another on trial from Sean, and then we're back. In, uh, Damn You Hollywood is back on the 20th. Uh, we'll be looking at Black Panther. And that's all I got for now. Um, you're wondering when you're going to get your steady dose of, of Damn You Hollywood. Uh, March 6th. From March 6th, pretty much on, for the most part, is going to be uh, you know, when we go almost every week until the end of the summer with, um, with Damn You Hollywood. Mark has got Death Wish, A Wrinkle in Time, Tomb Raider, and Pacific Rim. All movies Rob can't wait to review. One, no, like there's one in that group <laughs> that I'm actually kind of interested in. Is it Death Wish? Do you think it's Death Wish? <laughs> is, it, is it A Wrinkle in Time? Do you think it's A Wrinkle in Time? It's a Tomb Raider. Do you think it's Tomb Raider? Pacific Rim Uprising, isn't it? Is it? Do you think it's Pacific Rim? <laughs> it, is it Ready Player One? Is it The New Mutants? Is it Rampage? Uh, actually, I'm kind of looking forward to Ready Player One. I have no interest in The New Mutants. Absolutely none. Is it? Is it Avengers Infinity War? Is it... Is it Solo, a Star Wars story? Mark, seriously, <laughs> nothing from 2018. <laughs> I know everybody right. gets their... I know everybody like has this bizarre attachment with A Wrinkle in Time because they were in middle school. They read it and it was their first expo- uh, you know, exploration of metaphysics and fiction. I didn't care that much for it. I actually preferred the sequel. Alrighty. Uh, with that being said, uh, go ahead and do your plugs and let's get out of here. Uh, all right. I hate next year so much. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Let's go already. No, I'm just looking through it again and I'm like, through August, I'm like, nope, 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 nope. So much nope. God, I hate my life. Uh, all right. You can normally find me uh, talking about MMA-related things um, on the 411 Ground and Pound radio show Sundays at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This last week, we reviewed Fight Night 122, which, you know, the main event should not have been medically cleared, but when the UFC self-regulates, they don't need no stinking medical clearances for guys who were concussed and choked out 20 days previous. Um, like Dana White has just said a bunch of stupid stuff today. I mean, I just, such stupid stuff. What are you going to do if GSP decides he isn't going to defend the middleweight belt? Well, I'll be pissed. That that doesn't even (laughs) answer the question. Uh, So Tony Ferguson thinks that Conor McGregor should defend the belt or or vacate it. Tony shouldn't talk about anything. 
We don't book around Tony Ferguson. <laughs> no, your interim champion shouldn't be clued in as to when he might get a crack at the actual belt. Like, ugh. <laughs> Dana White. Uh, then anyway, we so we reviewed Fight Night 122. We previewed the tough finale show, such as it is, because they've announced like five fights for that card. That's it. That's all they've announced. And they have a new guy debuting on commentary with Daniel Cormier. And I, I'm, I'm going to hate that night so much. I hate tough finales in general. They're just badly paced and full of people who are like probably not even legitimately a UFC caliber fighter. Although what that means nowadays is somewhat questionable. But now you're adding like a commentary team that's very likely to crash and burn just to make my life worse. Uh, we also previewed UFC 218, which is a legitimately great main card. Uh, the main event is a rematch between Jose Aldo and Max Holloway for Holloway's featherweight title. Uh, you've also got our offering to the violence gods as Justin Gaethje and Eddie Alvarez try to shorten each other's lives by years. <laughs> Seriously, those two. I am so looking forward to that fight. Now watch it fall through in the next six days because I can't have nice things. Uh, this coming Sunday, and I will have coverage of those events in the MMA Zone of 411 Mania on Sunday. We'll review both of those and preview Fight Night 123. Hang on, i got to double check that. 218, yeah, 123. Swanson versus Ortega. Um, okay, yeah, they, they, seriously? All right, I'm glad that, they just changed the order of some of the bouts over the last couple of days, so, for that fight, for that event. Um, but yeah, you got Swanson Ortega, which is a pretty good fight. Uh, Marlon Marais is fighting Aljamain Sterling. That should be pretty good. That's, uh, that's kind of it. Where are they for that? Ah, oh, Fresno. Okay. That explains some of their, some of the people on this card. So we'll go, we'll, you know, review all of the action from Friday and Saturday and we'll preview that event. Should be, uh, should be a good time. The shows are a lot of fun. And next Tuesday, Mark and I will be discussing The Punisher. I will talk about my love of acting and violence and the intersection of the two that is that show. I will also complain about a couple of characters because there's a few that are questionably written. Ugh. They're actually filling out the tough... Again, they've announced like five fights. They're filling it out with people from the season. I hate my life. <laughs> So I'll see you next week if I haven't succumbed to depression and just ended everything <laughs> because I just can't take oh, it anymore. Don't say that. Don't say that. That's terrible. All right. For for the nice suicidal Robert Winfrey and for – what I get for uh, looking at my... the schedule for 2018. It, it robs me of hope. <laughs> okay. I am your uh, mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified. We'll be back. Soon. Be well. Be safe. See you guys then. And behave.